0: chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. There is an essential difference, on the one hand, between a hypocrite who desires both God and man to account him righteous by means of his mere external deeds, and on the other hand, between a poor, struggling Christian who obeys the Lord in doing what he knows he is to do, even when the sense of God's presence is not very near to him. Dear ones, hypocrisy is playing a role in order to receive the applause of God and man. Faithfulness, on the other hand, is obeying the Lord because he says so. Even when we feel somewhat lifeless, and empty within. In fact, in some respects, it is a greater demonstration of faith in Christ when we obey Him, not because we feel like obeying Him, but because we know He calls us to do so, and even when those gracious and religious affections may be absent. That's obeying Sometimes merely on the basis of what the Lord has said and we believe his word and that we are called to do so. The reason I raise this important distinction, dear ones, is because we are looking today at the matter of hypocrisy in the life of the scribes and Pharisees. I do not want anyone to misunderstand what I say as if one is a hypocrite simply because he forces himself to do what is right at times without an overwhelming sense of love and gratitude to Christ at that precise moment. Surely a Christian should want to obey the Lord out of a heart overflowing with love and gratitude to Christ but because he does not presently have that conscious sense of love in his obedience, should he refrain from obeying the Lord for fear that he would be a hypocrite to do so? Absolutely not. Dear ones, there are many things that we do all the time. Not because we necessarily desire to do so, but because we know it is our duty to Christ to do so. And one is not called a hypocrite because he does so in such cases. Mom, do you prepare meals and clean the house every day because you just can't wait to do so? Dad, do you jump out of bed with a spring? in that first step and go to work every day because of a conscious love to Christ and for your family? Do martyrs always lay down their lives for Christ because there has been nothing more that they have wanted to do in all of their life than this? Not necessarily. Dear ones, we should continually pray that God graciously grant to us a sensible desire of love and gratitude in serving the Lord and others. For without a doubt, such love greases the wheels, enlightens the burdens, and makes our obedience a delight. But, beloved, you are not a hypocrite if you look to Christ as your righteousness and obey Him simply because He has commanded you to do so. This the scribes and the Pharisees did not do, for they were hypocrites who merely played a role in pretending to be righteous without looking to Christ at all as their righteousness. The Lord tells us in the text before us today to beware of hypocrites, and especially hypocrites who pose as leaders and guides within the church. How will such hypocrites be discerned by the sheep? Well, first of all, in part, from the things that the hypocrites desire. We see that in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 39. And second, in part, from the gross contradictions in their lives, as we see in Mark chapter 12, verse 40. Let us consider then, first of all, how will such hypocrites be discerned by the sheep from the things that they desire? Look with me at Mark chapter 12, verses 38 and 39. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts." Our text in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, gives to us the last recorded words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he spoke publicly to the people, to the multitudes at large. And his last recorded words spoken to the multitudes are words of warning. They are to beware of something. If there was any doubt in the minds of the people as to the character of the scribes and the Pharisees in general, not every single scribe or Pharisee, but in general, Christ pulls back now the curtain to expose them for who they really are, hypocrites. As I've noted in previous sermons on the subject of hypocrisy, All of us as Christians fall into the sin of hypocrisy at times. Wherein we sinfully walk through the motions in worship and in our obedience with our hearts being far away from the Lord. Christ in his righteousness at such times is not upon our minds. A hungering and thirsting for Christ is not within our hearts. Now, where we have simply not prepared our hearts, ourselves for worship, in order to glorify the Lord due to our preoccupation with the world, due to our love for so many other things that are in the world, we clearly at that point fall into this sin of hypocrisy. We are merely pretending to go through worship. The eye of faith at such times is not cast upon Christ, but upon everything else in the world but Christ and His Word. Beloved, this is a most grievous sin. How we must seek the face of the Lord that we avoid such sins of hypocrisy. But, dear ones, this is not the unpardonable sin. A Christian will recognize what he has been doing. He will not remain content with continuing therein. And he will seek the face of the Lord. He will seek to, uh, to uh, God's forgiveness through Christ. He will grieve and he will sorrow over this sin in his life. That would be the natural response of one who falls into the sin of hypocrisy and is a a Christian. It's much like if we were to draw a parallel as to how hypocrisy manifests itself in our life. I think we probably as parents all had this experience that when we are discussing something very important with our children, they, they pretend to be listening outwardly to what you're saying. But it's obvious their minds are a million miles away. They're not, their mind's not in the same room with you at that particular point in time. Outwardly, they give the appearance of listening, but inwardly, they wish they were somewhere else. But we all, as Christians, can fall into that particular sin. And we need to acknowledge that at the very outset. That is the sin of hypocrisy in the life of a Christian. But I want to make this very clear. Falling into the sin of hypocrisy and being a hypocrite are not the same thing. For a hypocrite does not look to Christ as his righteousness and only hope of eternal salvation. A hypocrite does not grieve and mourn over his hypocrisy. A hypocrite does not seek the forgiveness of God, nor endeavor new obedience thereafter. A hypocrite continues in his hypocrisy, thinking that his mere outward conformity to certain standards of the law will merit the approval of God and win the applause of of men. This is the hypocrite of whom Christ here speaks. And what the gospel of Mark here abbreviates in three verses, the gospel of Matthew presents in a very full way, taking up one entire chapter in Matthew chapter 23. Our text in Mark chapter 12 verse 38 in, indicates that the Lord addressed these words to the common people, to the multitudes within the temple. We see in Mark 12:38 the text says, "And he said unto them in his doctrine." The them, the antecedent for the them there goes to the previous verse where it says, "And the common people heard him gladly." In fact, Matthew twenty-three one, the parallel passage, says that uh, says then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Here it is clear that the Lord Himself gave a public warning against the scribes and the Pharisees. Let none therefore think it inappropriate or contrary to the principles of charity to warn the flock of Jesus Christ against all apostasy and hypocrisy evident within the professing church today. But in doing so, let us as ministers always do so with humility, looking to our own sins first, and with charity looking to reclaim all those who have departed from the right ways of the Lord. The Lord here commands the people to beware. He doesn't suggest that they be beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. He commands them to beware of the scribes and the Pharisees, lest they be deceived and misled. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, you recall that the Lord actually told the disciples in that verse, separate yourselves from them. Leave them alone because of their corruption. Notice now that the Lord describes the character of these hypocrites by the various desires or loves within their lives, which controlled them. The word that's actually used in Mark 12, verse 38, when it says, Beware of the scribes which love. That word love is actually the word desire. Which desire to go in long clothing, etc. But I think it's certainly an appropriate use of the word love here because that which supremely is our desire will be our love. What characterized then the desire and love of the scribes and the Pharisees? First of all, they desired to appear outwardly holy before men it says of the scribes and the Pharisees which love to go in long clothing now someone may ask what's wrong with that go in long clothing well i believe an important clue is given as to the meaning of that in the parallel passage in matthew chapter 23 verse 5 there we find these words But all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Let's just talk very briefly of what the phylacteries were. They were these little boxes that were worn by the Pharisees upon their foreheads, tied around their foreheads. And around their arms. And within these little boxes were contained very specific passages of God's law. This practice was apparently begun a generation or two before the coming of Christ. It was never authorized by the Lord. The Old Testament scriptures, but was rather the result of interpreting Deuteronomy chapter six verses eight and nine in an an, uh, unnatural and literal fashion. They took a passage which the Lord intended to be interpreted figuratively about binding the law about their foreheads as frontlets between their eyes, wearing the law upon their their arms, their wrists. Putting the law upon the doorpost, they t- interpreted that quite literally. The way, the way in which we are able to determine that they misunderstood the passage is that it's never, ever practiced by Moses, nor by any of the prophets of God, or anyone else that we know of in the Old Testament Scriptures. Not until, again, a generation or two before the time of Christ. You see, phylacteries, as worn by the Pharisees, were a mere outward show of religion. They did so in order to attract the attention of the people to themselves as being especially holy and especially loving the law of God. If someone else loves the law of God or is holy, we especially are because look what we have done with regard to these phylacteries, these little boxes that contained the law of God. So it was a public show. Well, the second way that the Pharisees appeared holy before men, according to Christ, in Matthew 23, 5, was by enlarging the borders of their garments. That refers to the, the tassels or, or the blue ribbon that God had authorized them to put upon their robes. Now, this God did specifically say to do. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41, they were to take a piece of blue ribbon or tassel and to attach it at various places around their robes, their garments on the the bottom of their garments. These blue tassels or ribbons upon the bottom of their robes reminded them, according to this passage in Numbers 15, that they were a people purchased by God unto Himself. And therefore, they were to love God's commandments. They were to obey Him from hearts that were filled with gratitude and love because of how the Lord had redeemed them out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. These blue tassels, dear ones, did not speak of the law in the hands of of an avenging judge. But these blue tassels spoke of rather the law in the hands of a merciful mediator who himself would fulfill all of the righteous requirements in obedience to the law of God. Remember in Matthew 9.20 that there was a woman who had for 12 years had an issue of blood, the Scripture says. And she said to herself, if I can only Grab hold of the hem of his garment. I will be healed. The hem of his garment, that word used for him, is this word referring to the tassel, which represented the law of God. She did not grab a hold of her own tassel, which was at the bottom of her robe, and cling to that, saying, by my law-keeping, I can be right before God. She grabbed hold of of Christ's tassel, saying, in effect, it is His righteousness and His obedience alone that makes me acceptable before the Lord. It is only through Christ that I can be healed, most importantly, spiritually, and that I can be healed physically. And so she was indicating she was, by her actions, she was clinging to Christ's Obedience to the law, not to her own. Thus, what the Pharisees had done by way of their outward appearance was to extend the length of these ribbons or these tassels so as to make them longer, so as to draw more and more attention to themselves again The normal people, if they were just a couple inches long, well, they would make theirs that much longer so as to appear more holy and more righteous in the eyes of men. Ministers must be ever so careful, dear ones, not to draw the gaze, the stares, and the attention of others to themselves by the way that they dress, speak, or behave. Rome's ministry is certainly hereby condemned. Rome's ministry, who wears the multicolored vestments and robes, gold and silver and scarlet in every way, putting upon themselves that which God has not authorized, that which God has not commanded in order to draw attention to their sanctity, to their holiness, is certainly condemned in this particular passage by what the Pharisees were doing. As ministers of Jesus Christ, dear ones, it is not we who should ever be the focal point for people, but rather Jesus Christ. We are merely ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring the riches of His glory and of His grace. As ministers, beloved, we should despise, in fact, the limelight as a means of promoting our own gifts and graces. Our whole mindset as ministers ought to be, let Jesus Christ increase and let me decrease. That is the first love of these hypocrites spoken of here by Christ. A love to appear outwardly, outwardly holy, but no hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of Jesus Christ within the inner man. Dear ones, I ask you, in a more broad way, than just merely applying this to ministers, Applying it to all of your lives. Where is your greatest spiritual energy expended? In a display of outward holiness or in hungering and thirsting after Jesus Christ. Outward holiness, beloved, is absolutely necessary. But let us focus on inward holiness and the outward holiness will naturally flow from it. A second love of the scribes and the Pharisees, they desired the titles of authority and scholarship. It says in our text, and love salutations in the marketplaces. Again, we need to turn to the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 23. Notice what the Lord says in verses 7 through 12 concerning what the Pharisees and the scribes loved. And greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your Master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your Father upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called Masters, for one is your Master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. The Pharisees, according to this passage, coveted the title of rabbi, which literally means great one. That was used for the most highly acclaimed teachers of Israel. When they went into public places or into marketplaces, they loved to hear their knowledge and their authority praised before men. You see, this was the fuel that kept their engines running. They lived for this acclamation and this notoriety. They did not teach nor preach because of the call of God upon their lives. They did not expound the word due to a love for the people that the people might know the one true living God and have life by His grace. Likewise, we as ministers must be ever so careful not to flaunt our learning our knowledge, our titles, or our degrees before people. Beloved, the pride of knowledge will prove to be the downfall of a faithful Christ-honoring ministry. This is not to say that ministers should rather desire to be ignorant or timid when it comes to the truth. Absolutely not. However, our knowledge should not be be seen as drawing men to ourselves as our disciples. Our knowledge should not be seen to draw attention to ourselves in any way, but rather our knowledge should be seen in drawing people to Jesus Christ and to love and to obey His Word supremely. If people desire to call us as ministers by certain titles, whether doctor, reverend, pastor, well, that's fine. But let us as ministers never insist upon such a title. Or glory in such a title. Paul certainly did not cling to his title of apostle. Apostle. He simply, in many of his letters, says, I, Paul. He wasn't one to cling to his titles. And neither should we, as ministers, cling to our titles. As if our ministry is all wrapped up in that title itself. Paul could point to his religious training and he did in acts chapter 22 verse 3 point to his religious training under the the most learned teacher in Israel Gamaliel he says i sat at the feet of gamaliel he certainly could have boasted about his learning and his training continuously had he chosen to do so but rather paul says in galatians 6:14 let me boast or glory in nothing else but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, respect for the minister will not ultimately be based upon a title, but rather upon his doctrine and upon his character. And the fact that the Lord has called him to do what he is doing, that Christ has endued him with his authority to proclaim the gospel of Christ. When Christ teaches that ministers should not be called rabbi, father, or master, as he does in Matthew 23, 8-12, he is not forbidding the use of all titles. For Paul refers to himself as a father, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul refers to himself as a preacher, as an apostle, and as a teacher in 2 Timothy 1.11. What Christ is forbidding in Matthew 23, verses 8-12, are titles which convey absolute submission to that individual over in which they can lord it over the consciences of others. A supreme type of an authority. And the Lord goes on to say at the very end of that passage in Matthew 23, that rather than being lords over people's consciences, ministers are to be servants who humbly minister on behalf of Christ To all who need the Lord Jesus Christ. The third love of these hypocrites is that they desired special favors and honors given in the presence of others, bestowed upon them in the presence of others. When it says, and the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost rooms at feast, they love these things, the chief seats. And the synagogue, in the uppermost rooms at feasts. Now, the chief seat in the synagogue was a bench which faced the congregation and was placed nearest to the box that contained the Torah, the law of God. It would be like those special seats that you probably have noted in maybe churches in the past that would be the front of the building behind the pulpit, where the guest speaker or those who are participating in the worship service would would sit. That would be a similar type of a thing. It was facing the congregation. But I I asked the question, why are such seats necessary in the first place? Why should the attention of people be upon those sitting in seats facing them? why give these men any more temptation in dealing with matters of pride than they already have in being in a public situation? Why shouldn't they rather sit in the front row with and among the congregation rather than being seen by the congregation in such a public manner? The uppermost rooms at feasts that the Lord speaks of here does not actually refer to separate rooms like cubicles, but the word room here is used instead of the word place or spot. They desired the uppermost or the chief places or spots at a feast. The guest of honor would take the place around the, the table, and in that particular culture they reclined as they would come to eat. The guest of honor would take the, the place nearest to the host. That was the, the chief place at a feast. And again, the Pharisees loved and coveted those chief Places. That's what they lived for. They coveted and desired and loved to be publicly honored before all men. You see, they did not shy away from public praise, but rather they ran quickly to it. Again, how ministers must guard themselves from this evil. For even though we may not blow our own horn, we may sinfully covet that others blow a horn on our behalf. And when we covet that, we have fallen into the same sin as was being evident in the lives of the Pharisees as well. True enough, none of us are guiltless as ministers in this regard. We all fall short of God's glory in this regard. But by God's grace, we must put to death this sin, lest it lead us away from the simplicity of the gospel, into the pomp and circumstance of Rome, where the Pope rides not upon a humble donkey, but rather sits upon a throne. The second main point is this. How will such hypocrites be discerned by the sheep from the contradictions in their lives? Look with me at Mark 12, verse 40. Which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. The specific contradiction here mentioned is on the one hand that of taking the money and property of ignorant and helpless widows. And on the other hand, that of making a show, a pretense before the people of God that they are so interested in the things of God as indicated by their long prayers that they offer. Hypocrites, dear ones, will reveal not only inconsistencies. Christians will reveal inconsistencies in their lives. We do all the time. What we profess, we don't perfectly practice. So there will be inconsistencies in all Christians' lives. So we're not merely talking about inconsistencies. We're talking about blatant contradictions. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. While they're ripping off these widows, they're making a pretense of being righteous and offering long prayers with God's people. That's a blatant contradiction. That's not an inconsistency. Again, as ministers of Jesus Christ, We must guard against these types of contradictions for sure, but even as guard against inconsistencies as much as we can, because if anybody's life is under the microscope, it's certainly the minister's life. It's the minister's family that will be so. We must be careful that we as ministers do not live one way when we're in public and live an entirely different way with our families or when we're all alone. Certainly that should be the case with all Christians, but especially ministers. You see, hypocrites are indeed blinded to the truth that the one true living God hears all that we say when we are alone and sees all that we watch or all that we do when we are alone. As Christians, we realize, dear ones, our total inability to keep all of God's commandments. But as Christians, we're not to rest in simply our inconsistencies and throw up our hands and say, I'm a sinner, so what? When we see inconsistencies in our lives, so those inconsistencies don't become blatant contradictions and we become hypocrites. We must not be content to live that kind of a lie. As Christians, we must seek the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to overcome those inconsistencies so that we can live with a clean and a pure conscience before God. And when we see those inconsistencies in our life, to sincerely grieve and to sorrow over them, to go and to flee unto the Lord and to ask God to forgive us. And to renew our covenant to obey him. To endeavor new obedience. And as those who live inconsistently. Not always practicing what we preach. Let us always look to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. As our only foundation. As our only basis. Of approval before God. Certainly this text teaches as well what it says in verse 40 that ministers must not covet riches or wealth in this life. The minister must not enter into his calling in order to have a comfortable lifestyle as much as to be faithful. Whether there is comfort or not, by way of having one's needs met, Time will tell. But whether there is or whether there isn't, a minister must always be faithful and not live for comfort or material wealth. He must be willing to be employed full-time in the service of Christ and at times when he can't be paid full-time that he must be willing even at those times to supplement his income so as to fulfill his calling as best as he can. And do not fail to see as we close today what the Lord says about these hypocrites. They shall receive the greater damnation. That certainly implies that there are degrees of punishment in hell. A greater damnation than ordinary immoral people who just go out and wantonly live immoral lives a greater judgment rests upon those who pretend to be Christians and yet in fact are not and are just merely doing what they do in order to be seen by others who are simply living a lie A greater damnation awaits them. In light of this, beloved, how we need faithful ministers who will go forth faithfully to declare the whole counsel of God. This is the need of the moment. Faithful ministers. Are you committed, each one of you, are you committed to praying in your secret worship and in your family worship that God will raise up faithful ministers? And if you are willing and committed to do so, are you also willing and committed to support them financially with all that God has given to you to the best of your ability, whether it's small? whether it's little or whether it's much because of the the way in which the Lord has prospered you. Are you willing to not only pray but to financially support the ministry which Christ raises up? Because I tell you, dear ones, a people's sincerity in praying for the ministry is evidenced by what they're willing to sacrifice, to have, ministers who are working full-time to the glory of Christ and to the profit of God's people. Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Thou has looked into our soul today and reminded us, O Father, of the need to be real and sincere, to be transparent before Thee and before others. We pray, Father, that Thou would cause us, Lord, not to live a life simply so as to, uh, to attract the attention of others. But, O Lord, whether anyone sees, whether it's in total privacy, let us live, O Lord, so as to be faithful to Thee. And let us always look to the righteousness of Christ alone as our only hope of eternal salvation. Cast us, Father, outside of ourselves and to look upon the Savior today, to flee unto Him for all the inconsistencies that are in our life. And, O Father, we pray that Thou would keep us not only from inconsistencies, but especially from grievous contradictions. That we bring not dishonor to the name of Christ, and that we, Father, not show thereby where our heart truly is. But cause us, O Lord, by our words and by our deeds, to declare the glory of Christ even when we're seeking Thy forgiveness, even when <clears throat> we're repenting of sin which we have committed against others and against Thee. We pray, Father, that uh, Thou would burn this message into our very souls so to live according to it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.